Now tonight's, tonight's piece of scripture is from Exodus, it's from Exodus 3. Right? And it's, it's, it's quite a long passage, so I'm going to just, um, I'm just going to read a, a, a couple of bits here. And just, just to give you a quick synopsis, this is, this is Moses at the burning bush. Right, this is Moses in, in the mountain in the, in, in the, the burning bush. I'm going to read a little bit of two and a bit of three. Now, effectively, Moses is born as an Israel, Israelite in a foreign land. And his life changes very, very dramatically from his birth. And it changes from when his mother, to try and rescue him from the infanticide of Pharaoh, places him in a basket. And the wee bit I just want to read very quickly is from Exodus 2-3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She put it in the reeds. Right, just keep that in mind. She put it in the reeds. Always just thought she'd launched it into the river. I don't know why I thought that. But all my life I've always thought she'd just launched it. Because I think it's in the Ten Commandments in it, in the movie. They push it out in there. But she actually placed it in the reeds. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, the baby's sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get the Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So that's far. There's more there, and we'll hear about it. And, and, and when I'm speaking I want to jump over to Exodus 3 now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush Moses saw that though the bush was on fire it did not burn up so Moses thought I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called, called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is God's word to me. He bless it to our hearts and guide our lives with it this night and forevermore. There you have the start of Moses' life, where he's been picked out of the river Nile by Pharaoh's sister. And when you've also got where his life changes with God. I've just said to your sister there, don't I? Just realised I said there. Um, and his life changes with God. So it's like the start and the start again. <laughs> it's the start of his life and it's the start of his real life. 
Okay, on that front. Now, to put it in context, Moses was born into a people that were, at that point in history, hated in Egypt. And I cannot express how strongly they were hated. The initial view of the Israelites when Joseph and Jacob had moved to Israel was quite, it was decent. It was high. They were popular. But as they went through the 400 years, the population has grown. And the the Egyptians are scared of the Israelites now. They're scared of them. And you can hear it in their newspapers every day. There's many of these people here. There's many of them than us. They'll take more jobs. They'll, they'll overrun us. They'll kill us in our sleep. They're eating our food. They're... Nothing changes. The Israelites were treated the same. The Egyptians were in fear of them because of their number. Right? They were in fear of them because of their number. Today we call it racism. We probably just didn't have that word, but it's the same thing. The same thing. Not even that, but the primary role up until that point, before they were enslaved by Pharaoh, was the shepherds. Shepherds in Egypt were regarded as the lowest of the lowest, the most untrustworthy. They were the low. I don't know if you remember when Joseph and his brothers come down and he says to him, listen, we're going to speak to Pharaoh here, but don't tell him you're a shepherd. Just tell him that you've always looked after livestock. Don't mention sheep. Right. So even what they do for a living draws a disgust for the Egyptians. And what the Egyptians do in their response are driven by the fear of the numbers the Israelites have, is they enslave them. So they go for people who, who worked with the, the sheep and the flocks up in Goshen. They've enslaved them. They've made them slaves. And I couldn't help but think as I went through this passage, it was as if the Egyptians were a a strong foreshadowing of the Holocaust that was to come in our time. The Nazi Holocaust. Where the Nazis enslaved the Israelites. The Jews. I I, I I was looking at it and one of the commentaries I was reading, the fella pointed to that. Moses' background as an Israelite, he is ethnically unacceptable in Egypt. Another foreshadowing of being a Jew in our time, in the Nazi period. Ethnically unacceptable. And at the point of Moses' birth, out of the fear and racism of the Egyptians, Pharaoh enacts an infanticide a murdering of children male children another foreshadowing of the Nazi holocaust in their time the thing that came out of that when I was working on it and even the commentaries I was looking at it is God's people will always always draw that response to a greater or lesser degree. God's chosen people. And if you're a Christian. You will draw that response. To some level. In our country. It's probably derision. And snide remarks in the workplace. 
about you. You go to the Middle East, it's your life. God's people will always draw that reaction from the world. That's just a fact. And Moses' mother, to save him, Jochebed, to save him, places him in a tar, a pitched covered basket, and places him in the reeds. Now, come on, who here actually thought he was launched onto the river? See, I did. I always did. I grew up with that thought. And like I say, I think that was the Charlton Heston movie. Right? Because in the movie, he smuggles into the river and puts him in the river and floats him down the river, don't you? And it just happens to be, it gets lodged in the reeds. But it wasn't he. Jochebed knew what she was doing. She knew where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. She knew exactly where she bathed. She took the papyrus out and popped it in. Because she knew that at some point, somebody would spot it. Failure, which I thought was really, really clever. And from that point on, when Moses is taken out, when Moses is taken out of the reed bed, Chuck Swindle, Charles Swindle, that made a great, 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 great guy, his, his stuff's brilliant. I, I've got a smashing book on Moses that he wrote. It's, if you want a book on Moses, that's the book. It's brilliant. It's one of the best reads I've, I've had in a long time. And Chuck Swindle puts it this way. When Moses is taken out of the nail in the basket, now begins a, a stretch of, of Moses' life. He starts his life, and for the first 40 years of it, he's a somebody. And for the next 40 years, he's a nobody. And for the next 40 years, God shows him exactly what he can do with a nobody. I thought that was brilliant. I just, I just, Swindle doesn't take it as his, but he says, that's a standing statement of Moses' life. 40, 40, 40. A somebody, a nobody, and then what God can do with a nobody. And I thought, that's as perfect a breakdown in my sermon as I need. <laughs> Moses is a somebody. He was a leader. He was a leader in Egypt. We've actually got to go to the book of Acts to get a wee bit more insight in the New Testament. Acts 7.22 says Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. In action. Now, historians speculate that as he, was, he was educated as an Egyptian in all things Egyptian. It's remembering the Egyptians were the ruler of that section of the world. Egyptian science, Egyptian writing, the hieroglyphics were... That was, the, that was the controlling factor and the influence. So everything about them, their mathematics, their calculations, all that, he'd be educated in that. But the fact that Acts 7.22 says he was powerful in speech and action, and action, they reckon from that it's in fairness because a royal son of Pharaoh, he became Pharaoh's son, would have been a military leader. He would have been expected to be able to lead Egyptian soldiers. So he was a leader. He'd been brought up in this. He was a leader. He's Egyptian royalty. I couldn't help thinking of, do you know the, the, the pop star Madonna and the, the film actress Angelina Jolie? They do that. They go to these poor countries and they pick up babies out of poverty and they take them to Hollywood. I was thinking, that must have been the feeling was for, for Moses, taken out of the, the hated Israelite living and becoming Egyptian royalty. What a change in circumstance. What a change. 
But you know the thing is, is we all his education and all his strength and speech and action. Moses failed as a somebody. <laughs> he didn't make it. He didn't go from start from being a somebody and make it right to the end of his life as a somebody. He failed and he failed pretty big time. Because Moses fell between two stools. He fell between being an Egyptian royalty. But his heritage was he was a hated Israelite. Now we don't know for sure how aware how much he was aware of his Israelite back then. Speculated. Scripture isn't clear on it. But his actions tell you what he, how he saw himself. His actions tell you. Because Moses, when he's nearly about 40, he takes it into his heart to premeditatedly murder someone on behalf of the Israelites. So he's, a, he's an Egyptian royalty. And he's decided he's going to kill somebody. On behalf of these Israelites. So that indicates to me that he had an affinity with the Israelites. He had some understanding of his connection with them. How much of that we don't really know. And he premeditatedly murdered the person. Because when you look in Exodus 2.12. Looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Once again... All my life, I thought it was, he saw the Egyptian overseer beating the two Hebrews and he decided, I'm having none of this. And he just flew in in a fit of rage and killed him. He didn't. He looked this way, he looked that, nobody about, bosh, he's killed him. <laughs> he's killed the Egyptian. And then he hid him in the sand. Didn't bury him. He hid him. He basically pushed sand on him, like you do on the beach. He hid him. And even through all that, he didn't do that out of a sense of justice. Now, maybe there was a bit of that in there. He did it because he wanted the Israelites to see him as their rescuer. He killed the Egyptian overseer, not out of justice. He wanted them to look at him. Look at me. Look what I've done for you. Acts 7 5. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue him then. But they did not. Moses saw himself as, I'll be the rescuer here. I'll rescue them. And they'll look to me. And they did not. Who do you think you are? That's more or less what they said to him. Not only does he fail as a prince of Egypt, as a somebody, he failed as a murderer. He couldn't even murder somebody and get away with it. Right? Because he just covered them up with sand and thought, nobody will notice. It's basically a, a worksite gaffer is missing. Somebody's missing here. And he even failed as a rescuer. His first attempt at rescuing the Israelites miserably failed. They said to him, we chase yourself. We're not interested in you. We don't want you. Big fails all round. Moses the great leader. Failure. And what's the consequences of that? His fear and his shame about what he had done. His fear about his murder. His shame about embarrassing himself. 
He's just given up a whole royal life in the Egyptian court for these people. And they don't want him. He can't go back there. And he can't go with them. So he runs. He takes off. His fear and his shame has driven him to take to the hills. Just a wee pause here. How many is in my life do that? When we do something shameful. Or we're in a position where we're extremely frightened of something. Do we run? And I don't mean we physically need to run. We can run for things emotionally. And we can run for things psychologically. You know, I'm not going to think about that. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that and hope that that bad thing goes away. And hope that nobody notices that bad thing I've done or that bad thing i said. He's very much a man who's a victim of his own making. And off he ran to Midian. Now Midian is roughly, in our world, it's in the area of Jordan. So the east of the Gulf of Aqaba, east of the, the Red Sea. Right, so you've got Israel sort of sits like that, coming down to a point, and you've got Jordan on that side, and you've got Egypt on that side. So he's he's headed up Egypt, over, and running to Midian. It's in sort of the east there. And he's headed out there. So he's failed as a somebody. He's now going to try his hand at being a nobody. Right, so he's in Midian, and he's hiding out there. Did any of you see in the papers this week a guy called Eddie Maher? Can you see it in the BBC? Eddie Mayer in 1993 was a driver of a security car van. And he just went about his business. And then one day he went on shift. There was £1.2 million in the back of the truck. And he just drove away. <laughs> he just drove away. £1.2 million. And Eddie Mayer became a nobody for 20 years. I remember, I vaguely remember it happened. Because most people were going, good on you son, good on you, that's what I'd have done. He went on the run for 20 years to America with his wife and his child. And he became a nobody for 20 years. And eventually he was found out. And he got five years when he came back. So it was his daughter-in-law stuck him in. Right, long story. But that's what Moses did. Moses went on the run to Midian. Because he's murdered an Egyptian. He's not wanted by the Israelites. Pharaoh wants to kill him. So he hides out in Midian. He gets himself a wife. She's the daughter of a local priest. And he looks after his father-in-law's flocks. And he hides there for 40 years. I just want to forget about who I am, what I was, what I done. Just let it all go away. He was hiding for Pharaoh, he was hiding for the Israelite, his heritage as an Israelite, because he's nowhere there anywhere, he's, he's with different people now. He's with the Midianites. Nobody knows him. But most importantly, he was hiding from his shame. The shame of who he was, the shame of what he'd done. He was hiding for himself. He ran all the way to Midian to hide for himself. couldn't even do that. He couldn't even hide it. I mean, how hard does he hide it? <laughs> you just go somewhere, you shut your mouth, you don't say anything, that's you. Because somebody found him. God found him. God spotted him. 
he found them. Because what he thought is, if I hide things, to me, they haven't really happened. See, if I hide things, they've not really happened. I'll take another wee pause here. How many is can be you got that? Hide it in my mind. It's not really happened. Just to let you know, hiding something doesn't stop it from harmed. <laughs> it's still harmed. He was found by God. By God. Exodus 3. So he's up the mountain. He sees the burning bush. He heads towards it. And God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. Then God says to him, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. Why do you think that was? He's been found out. He's been living for 40 years with his big secrets. And God's went, Moses. Imagine hearing God shouting your name. I must be still feeling it. <laughs> eh? Imagine you hear a voice going, Kathy. <laughs> Ask yourself, would you say, here I am God. If he shouted, Vic, Vic, I'd be hiding my face. I'd be hiding my face. You see, God called his name twice. It's what God does to make you pay attention. Do you remember the teacher used to do that in class at school? Graham Adam <laughs> that's God I need your attention I need your attention now pay attention to the front that's what God's doing when he does Moses Moses and then what God does in a really interesting way he claims Moses by claiming him through his heritage right the heritage that Moses wants to ignore God says I am the God of your father You might want to forget you're an Israelite, but I'm not going to let you. You're an Israelite, and I'm the Israelite God. Where do you come from there? He knows your name, and he knows who you are. And he's not going to let you forget it. And then God shows his consistency, his faithfulness, right? This, is an this jumped out at me. Because when I was reading it, see the words that God uses there? Moses, Moses. This is him claiming them to bring them out of Egypt. This is the start of the moving out of Egypt. Guess what God said when he sent them into Egypt? Genesis 46 2. God spoke to Israel, Jacob, in a vision at night. And God said, Jacob, Jacob. What did Moses say when God said, Moses, Moses? He said, here I am, Lord. What did Jacob say? Here I am, Lord. That's 400 years earlier. And then, what does God say to Jacob? I am the God of your father. 
400 years earlier, God used the exact same words to Jacob, to Israel, as he used to Moses. That's him letting them know, I am consistent. I am the faithful God. What I say and what I do will happen. I couldn't believe when I saw that. Because I, I remember reading it and I thought, I've seen this before somewhere. And on the way back. I was like, God's using the same words here. He's using the exact same words. The words that sent the Israelites into slavery through a man were the same words that brought them out of slavery through a man. Where else do you see that in the New Testament? And the Old Testament and the whole Bible. We went into slavery through a man. We came out of slavery through a man. Adam. Jesus. Jacob. Moses. Incredible. And they say it's just a lot of ramblings, this book. Incredible. He's failed as a leader. He's failed as a somebody. He's failed as a nobody. And you would think, you would think, after 80 years, because he's nearly 80 now when God calls him, you'd think, he must know a thing or two. He must be with hand on us. He's been an Egyptian royal, a prince. He's been a shepherd in Midian for 40 years. You know something? He didn't have it all. Sandy said, the things that you need is repentance, obedience, and dependence. I was like, I had slightly different words. You see, when Moses was called, he had one of them. He had repentance. Because he had his face from God. He had his face. He knew. He couldn't look at God. He didn't have obedience. And he didn't have dependence on God. He hadn't learned him yet. You see, Moses learned him the hard way. Moses learned it the hard way. If you go to Numbers 20, between 9 and 12, here's what it says in the book of Numbers. The Israelites are travelling. They're thirsty. They're down for a drink of water. They all want a drink of water. And God's instructed Moses what to do to get them water. In the book of Numbers it says, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded them. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses, And Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. See, God didn't say to him, Straight the lock twice. He didn't say that. You go to Numbers 28. God says to him, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, and speak to the rock. Speak to it. And it will pour out its water. 
See, Moses didn't trust God enough to be obedient. Moses still thought he could do it his own way. See the same Moses that killed the Egyptian overseer? I'll kill him, I'll sort this. I'll sort this. I'll bring water at the rock. I'll hit it with my staff twice. God says, I didn't tell you to do that. He disobeyed. He disobeyed his clear instructions. He, did, he not only did that, he claimed that miracle for himself. He didn't give it God credit for it. He said, listen you rebels, must we bring the water out of the rock? Him and Aaron. What an insult to God. He's failed as a leader in Egypt. He's failed as a nobody in Midian. He's now failed as a leader shepherd. This is a whole new Moses to me, I'm going to be honest. I've still got Charlton Heston that can do everything right in my head. This man is an abject failure when left to himself. Go to say that sounds much like me. I don't know about you guys, but leave me to my own devices. I'll make a mess here. What does that mean for us? When you see that in Moses, when you see all those things in this man who is in first name terms with God, what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing, how many of us in our arrogance have acted against God's will? We know the Ten Commandments. That's God's will. God's clear. Don't do this, do that, do this, don't do that, do that, do that. Anybody here broke any of them? Moses is not alone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even these great patriarchs, these great leaders, these great biblical saints, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're in good company, or we're in bad company, whatever you want to write that. We're in bad company. We do it in different ways, but we're still the same when we break God's law. Have you ever tried to hide your shame? Have you ever tried to hide your shame and your fear? You know, not so much your fear, more your shame. Moses used the sands of the desert to try and hide the dead body. How many people, including myself, how many times have we tried to hide our sins with the sands of time? If we just let time go by, and eventually anybody that knows about it will have died off, or moved away, or forgot about what I've done, or what I said, or who I hurt. Or, do you know that? Do you know that? Great, that, this is just quite, that's the most ridiculous here. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal wounds. The healer heals wounds. It's the one that heals wounds. So next time somebody says, Time heals all wounds, say, Tosh. You're top Tosh. You know what you're talking about. Because that's what we do as human beings. We want to get as far away in time from our shame. And we can't. And we're disobedience. You know, even when God called him out of his hiding place, Moses still broke. He was still disobedient. And we would often say, I know I would, 
How stupid can the Israelites be? I mean, God speaks to them directly. He shows them everything. He gives them miracles. You've got to be a complete donut. I mean, this is God we're talking about. I'm sure in a few hundred years' time, people's going to look back at me and going, how could that have been so stupid? They had the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. Jesus had died on the cross for them. How could they still be so sinful? That man must have been an idiot. And they'd be right. God gave him everything he needed, everything he needed, and he still did it wrong. Just like Moses, a failure. A failure. Without God, a failure. And you know that one? You ever notice that one? It's, it's a common theme. Particularly when people of faith, when they step away from God's will, and they start leading their own life, including myself and us. See if their step away is successful. They claim it. Ah well, I knew that was the right thing to do. That was the right thing to do in my life. See if their decision to lead their own life goes belly up in a disaster. What's the phrase they use? Must have been God's will. So if it's a success, I knew what I was doing. I'll claim it. If it's a disaster, it's God's will. And you know, Moses lived 120 years serving God. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. And nobody's reward at the end it was in that life. Deuteronomy 34.5 And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, he was buried in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. There you go. 120 years. 40 years in the service of the Lord. What's your reward? An unmarked grave. If ever, if ever, there was a clear advertising poster... For the life of faith, there it is. If we ever even consider that a life of faith is somehow going to buy us an easy trip in this world, or glory from this world, you're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. You know, his reward in this life as a servant of the Lord was his body in an unmarked grave outside the promised land. Even in death he wasn't in. You know what I think? If somebody made you that as a job offer, you're not taking it. But you see, the death of the body in this life bears absolutely. It means nothing. The death of the body in this life means nothing for the people of God because their life is lived somewhere else (laughs) in the promised land of heaven the kingdom that's where that life is lived so what happens here is of no consequence absolutely zero consequence whether you get a state funeral whether you get a pauper's funeral if you're a person of faith that's up to God God's glory, God's purposes will be in there. 
And if you don't believe me, 11 out of the 12 apostles martyred. The clues are all there. If you pick in the Christian life, know this. It's a tough trip. So what would entice you to lead a life of faith and walk with God? What would entice you? If at the end of it what you're getting is an unmarked grave. You see, because that's not the end of it. And that's what brings me to the transfiguration in Luke's gospel. You see, God doesn't abandon you in death. Does not abandon you. And we see that in Moses' experience. Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up into the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, his exodus. That's the word that's used, exodus. Exodus, which he was about to bring from it. Moses and Elijah have been dead. One for about 14, 1500 years roughly, and one for about 900 years. Where have they been? Where have they been? They've been in the care of God. That's what the transfiguration tells us. That the saints who die in faith go into the care of God. Now, we don't need to get into all the mad theology of what actually what that is. We know the time here. They're in the care of God. In 1400 years and 900 years is the blink of an eye to God. It's a nothing. It's a zero. And why is it Moses and Elijah that's on this mountain talking to our Lord and Saviour Jesus? It's because the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus points to his exodus the cross Moses is the lawgiver of the Old Testament points to Jesus Elijah is the representative of all the prophets pointing to Jesus these two men are standing talking to Jesus about his exodus I can't believe that Peter came out with that line let me build a tent I can't believe it can you imagine standing there and Moses is saying to Jesus Lord I know that you're going on the journey and I know you've been through the desert and you're going on the journey and they're encouraging and strengthening the Lord while he's there and Peter's going let's build tents and you're thinking that's such a good thing I would say no. I just, he's not getting it because they're talking. I'm only they're talking about Jesus' exodus. Because Ez- Moses' exodus took the people from the slavery of Egypt into the promised land of Canaan. Jesus' exodus takes us from the slavery of sin into the promised land of the kingdom of heaven. That's what they're talking about. And then it dawned on me the last wee bit. See when you're putting your sermon together. It's got to tie together. It's like, wait a minute here. They're on a mountain in the promised land. Moses is in the promised land. I thought God said no. (laughs) 
You're not getting in. And I was like, oh, I'm struggling here now. I can't preach this because it doesn't tie. It doesn't tie together. You see, I'm like Peter. I'm too busy looking at who's there instead of who's been with me. Jesus. Because you see, Moses is Moses the murderer. When he went into God's care, God didn't say, well look Moses, we're just, we're just going to forget about that and you just, you just sort of get in behind me here. Maybe they'll notice and you can get into heaven. Moses the murderer. But the rest of you, you all need to pay a price. Just say that. Because the cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus, does not just cover sins from the day of his crucifixion and death till now. It covers all sins for all time, forward into the future, and away far back, right away back to Adam. The death of Jesus Christ covers all sins. Jesus' death covered Moses. Covers Moses. Don't get tied up in the wait a minute, he's not died yet. Don't call him that. It's done. The deal is done. The power of the cross works backwards and forwards through time. An amazing, an amazing Saviour. You know, Moses knew that. Moses was a man in the mountains. He'd been on the mountain when he was called in the burning bush. He was on the mountain when he wrote the Ten Commandments. He was back on the mountain to worship God and run up and down between him and the Israelites. And now he's back in the mountain because all the way through that he knew who the Saviour was. He knew who he was. Didn't he see him clearly? He knew God's promise. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. And now he's standing there. Moses, the failure, is standing the saviour of the world. The failure. He was a royal failure. A right royal failure. He failed in everything. Did God abandon him? No. He was fear-filled, he was shame-filled, he was arrogant, he was disobedient. But God was faithful and consistent. God stuck with him. Moses got to see his saviour. Moses got to see the promised land. Not because of anything that he had done. This man had led the Israelites out of slavery. God didn't say, well, thanks for that, you can now get into the kingdom. He says, thanks for that. You can now get into the kingdom because of my son. And has a toad in death for your sins. Is that our story? I hope it's my story. I hope and pray that it's my story. The transfiguration is an encouragement to the apostles. Moses and Elijah are a strengthen and an encouragement for Jesus. The apostles see it. It's an encouragement for them. They're getting a glimpse of the glory. They're getting a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus because Moses and Elijah gloriously appeared. 
Jesus' face changed and his clothes shone. They're getting away, glowing up to the kingdom. Keep them, keep going. And that's been passed to us. Moses couldn't see the, the full life that was to come in when he was leading the Israelites. He couldn't see that. Just like we can't see the full kingdom when it comes. We can't see it, but we've got wee glimpses of it. And one day, see all his failures. All the failures. We're going to be standing in front of the glorious Saviour. We're going to be standing in front of him. And we're not going to be talking about his exodus. Hmm. I think I'll just greet. I think I'll just greet for a long, long time. I'll just know we want to talk. You know? We're going to stand in front of him. Because I know I want to say to him, thank you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me, Jesus. Because I'm a failure. I'm an abject royal failure. But your death on that cross has got me a place on the mountain. That's there for us all. That's where the transfiguration is. Live the life that God has given us in Jesus. In Jesus. With what Sandy said this morning. With repentance. With obedience. And with dependence. That's what life. That's what Moses had to learn. And uh, we don't get away free. We've got to learn that as well. May God bless his word to our hearts.